الحمد لله الحمد لله وصلى وسلم على نبينا محمد وشرنا إله الله وحده لا شريك له وشرنا محمد عبده ورسوله. This is, of course, as you can see from the title, going to be a series of lectures that is geared towards the new Muslim, the one who has just uh, embraced Islam, inshallah, to help him or her understand their new religion, some of the basic concepts, some of the basic practices, some of the general understanding. Now, obviously, uh, inshallah, anyone who has become a Muslim has already studied Islam to some extent or at least has some basic understanding of Islam but the reality is that there is no course for example that Muslims are required to take or anything of that nature before they actually become a Muslim although in some in some Muslim countries they actually do offer courses but especially here in the United States and other places in the West people enter into Islam and their background their understanding of Islam is, is, is variable some people have studied Islam for a long time they understand many things others have just recently been ex- exposed to Islam but they, they have seen enough of Islam to know that this is the way of life uh, that they want and that they will pursue inshallah and so therefore, as I said, people there, therefore enter into Islam with various understandings, different levels of understandings. And I think it is important, inshallah, and it will be beneficial for the Muslim, for the non-Muslim, that uh, as soon as they begin their path of Islam, that they have some basic concepts and some basic understandings, and they understand some basic practices. And in addition to that, there are actually some issues of concern which are particular for non-Muslims, for those people who have converted to Islam from different backgrounds, uh, from different cultures and so forth. And so therefore there are some rules and, and regulations and laws that they have to be aware of that inshallah they will be able to implement in their lives. And so that is part of the goal of this series to present this information as I, as I said hopefully inshallah much of it maybe you've already studied and so forth uh, but also to inshallah put it all into one place maybe you can review this uh, more easily and so forth and in reality also since uh, I'm also a, a convert to Islam converted many years ago and I have seen many many converts along the way in addition, some of this information that I'll be providing is uh, also kind of like the information I wish I would have had or somebody would explain to me or, or, or explain to other new converts that would have made life easier, maybe less complications, maybe less misunderstandings along the way. And so also this is, inshallah, meant to help you not just practice your Islam, but also understand Islam vis-a-vis your new brothers and sisters within Islam. Let me start out by, of course, congratulating the new Muslim for this act of embracing Islam. Especially in this day and age, obviously, it goes without saying that that there are many impediments to embracing Islam. There are many factors, there are many, in fact, many, we can say, many people even who who will do their best or are doing their best 
to keep people away from Islam. They do this by many means, spreading, for example, false and misinformation about Islam, doing anything that they can to keep people away from wanting to study, wanting to learn, and wanting to embrace this, this religion. So the new Muslim has been blessed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, has been blessed by God that even through this darkness and through all of these obstacles, God in His mercy has led him to become a Muslim. So every new Muslim, in fact every Muslim actually, not just every new Muslim, but every new Muslim should be very grateful and very thankful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that Allah has guided them to Islam, that Allah has allowed them to see the truth of Islam. As I said, there are many things that are put in our ways in front of becoming a Muslim, in front of practicing Islam, in front of trying to improve our Islam. And so therefore every Muslim, not just again the new Muslim, but every Muslim should be very grateful and very thankful to Allah that Allah has made it easy for us to embrace Islam, to see Islam, to practice Islam, and inshallah to understand Islam properly. But upon becoming a new Muslim, and as I said being grateful to Allah that you have been guided to Islam, you are still new in the faith and Actually, there's a lot of things that you can look forward to in your new religion. And you are still kind of uh, in the infant stages. You still have a lot of growing to do. And as you progress more and more in Islam, and as you understand more and more in Islam, then actually your appreciation for Islam, your appreciation for Allah, your gratitude towards Allah, your appreciation for the Prophet Muhammad, all of this, all of this increases. All of this grows. In fact, the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, spoke to us in a hadith in which the Prophet, uh, peace be upon him, is describing those people who have really tasted the sweetness of faith. The Prophet said, ثَلَاثٌ مَنْ كُنَّ فِيهِ وَجَدَ حَلَاوَةِ الْإِمَانِ أن يكون الله ورسوله أحب إليه مما سواهما وأن يحب المرأة لا يحبه إلا لله وأن يكره أن يعود في الكفر كما يكره أن يقذف في النار. The Prophet ﷺ said there are three characteristics that if a person has them he has tasted the sweetness of faith. And these three characteristics are that Allah and His Messenger are more beloved to him than anything else. And that he loves a person and he loves him only for the sake of Allah. And that he hates to return to disbelief in the same way that he hates to be thrown into the fire. Now as I, as I was saying, you know, a, a new Muslim, and even for that matter, again, a Muslim maybe who has been a Muslim for quite some, some time but hasn't taken his faith that seriously maybe he's not yet at this level that he has these feelings in his heart but as I said inshallah as you grow in Islam as you learn more about Islam these things will develop in your hearts basically what I'm saying is that there's a lot to look forward to you can look at your embracing of Islam as a first step and there are many wonderful, many, many wonderful steps, inshallah, that are to follow. 
as you come closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, as you understand the religion better, as you as you improve in your practice and behavior, Islamic behavior. Now let me begin these lectures by giving you some kind of, of general advice, personal advice I guess you could say from uh, from me to uh, every every new Muslim out there, which again is based on my uh, my own experience and based on the experience of many, many Muslim converts that I have known over the years. And by the way, one thing in, in, in this set of lectures, inshallah, is that I, I, I plan on being very frank and very direct. Many times in people's exuberance to spread Islam and to attract other people to Islam and even when talking to new Muslims and so forth, there is this kind of tendency to sugarcoat things or to ignore things and so forth, which many times, I've seen this myself, many times leads to problems later on down the road. You know, they're told one thing when they first become Muslim or even before they become Muslim. And then when they find out later that that thing that they told them is not exactly true or is not true at all, uh, this can have a, a devastating effect on their attitude towards Islam, their attitude towards Muslims, and so forth. And in fact, if we look at the, the example of the Prophet Muhammad we do not find the Prophet behaving in this fashion. The Prophet when he explained Islam, when he conveyed the message to others, he conveyed it in a very frank and very clear manner. He did not try to hide anything, he did not try to cover anything. So, inshallah, as I said in these lectures, I'm going to put out everything as honestly, as frank, as direct as I can. So straightforwardness and honesty and clarity are part of the goal of, of, of these lectures. Maybe for some non-Muslims, you know, some aspects of the religion may be difficult at first. But also we'll discuss what does that mean and, and how, inshallah, you can get over those humps on the road and so forth. And in fact, let me begin, as I said, with kind of some general advice, some things that you may be confronting from the first day that you become a Muslim. And the first thing I would like to mention, and I've already kind of alluded to it uh, already, is that your growth and your development as a Muslim, in many ways or in some ways, you should look at it as, as a long-term thing and maybe even as, as a long path. Do not expect, for example, that you are a perfect Muslim and you understand everything from the first day that you become Muslim. You are new to the faith. You, know, you may not even have read all of the Quran yet or you certainly haven't read probably all of the available hadith and words of the Prophet Muhammad so you should expect, you should expect that you have a lot of growing to do. And this should be part of your attitude. Hopefully, that you, now that you've embraced Islam, you already have a, a love for this religion. And you should have a, a desire to learn it more, a desire to grow in it. You might even find that, that even the reason that you became Muslim needs to be adjusted. You know, why are you a Muslim? Why are you accepting this, uh, this religion and so forth. Uh, many people, they, have, they, have accept, they accept Islam not exactly for the proper reason, not completely just for the sake of God and believing in God and so forth. You might find that a lot of things in your Islam need to be adjusted. But this is normal. You know, don't, don't let this be 
a barrier to your growth in Islam. Don't let this devastate you. Allah knows that we are human beings, we have weaknesses, we make mistakes and so forth. And so therefore again, as, there's a lot to look forward to in Islam, especially as your faith grows, as your understanding grows, as you come closer to Allah. And so therefore look again, look at yourself as being on the first steps and being very anxious to, to grow in Islam and to learn more about this faith. Secondly, you must realize that there may be a lot of pressures and a lot of obstacles that you may have to face in the near future in particular, but even in the more distant future when it comes to practicing this religion. You, for example, in, in, in the United States or in the West now, now or in the post-9-11 era or whatever, uh, you may think, for example, that this is something related to what is going on now, but in reality this is not the case. In reality, anytime someone turns to the truth and someone accepts the truth and someone wants to make himself sincere to God, there are going to be forces, whether it is human beings, whether it is the devils or whatever, shaitan, there are going to be forces that are going to try to take him away from following that path. We see this in the example of virtually all of the prophets. Even the prophet Muhammad, as we know, eventually, finally, he was driven out of his uh, city of Mecca because of the opposition that he faced sometimes from the family members, people who were very close to him. They were very close to him, but they could not accept the idea of worshipping only God and submitting only to God and being true and faithful to God. They just could not accept this idea, and so therefore they fought it. They did not fight necessarily the Prophet Muhammad himself as him, his personality or his being an individual and so forth, but they fought what he believed in. Similarly, anyone who becomes a Muslim now may also face similar obstacles and pressures. And again, even coming from the closest family members, whether it is one's parents, whether it is brothers and sisters, whatever the case might be. Turning to God and following this path. You know, this path, and, and as, as I already alluded to, this path and, and, uh, and being blessed by Allah with recognizing this path and accepting this path and accepting this religion. This is a great blessing from God. This is, in fact, you can say this is the greatest blessing that you can imagine. So you shouldn't expect this great blessing to come without any sacrifice on your part, without any demonstration on your part of your willingness really to adhere and to accept this blessing from God. And so therefore you should be prepared for some kind of difficulties, some kind of obstacles. And again, it could be very different levels to it. You know, some, some people unfortunately... Like like young some uh, younger Muslims, you know, like college students or, or the like. Sometimes they're living with their family, for example, and because they become Muslim, they are thrown out of their of their houses. Others, for example, don't find situations like that, but they might find, for example, their friends that they've known for years turning on them, or they might find people at work no longer accepting them and, and uh, you know treating them differently and trying 
sometimes even trying to induce them to go against their religion or to give up their religion and they might all of a sudden find they're being visited by people from the church or uh, all sorts of people trying to convince them that this is not the way that they that they should follow and so forth so again if something like this nature occurs to you obviously this should not shock you in fact you should be prepared for it you are seeking and you are hoping to accept from God one as I said really the greatest blessing that you can have in this world and therefore you on your part you should be willing to show to God that yes you want this you want this more than anything so you are willing to sacrifice you are willing to put up with these minor obstacles that you are facing in this world uh, my, my point there is basically just be prepared for that and just realize what the great blessing this is and whatever you do don't be willing in essence don't be willing to give it up but instead be willing to sacrifice in order to maintain it and inshallah all of these things by the way that you go through all of these things hopefully will strengthen you in your faith will make you realize even more how much you really want this faith and how this faith is more important to you and, and, and this relationship to God is more important with, to you than even these human relations or jobs or, or whatever you have of this world so the, the, these are not just trials that you may be facing without any benefit but in reality in reality as I said they may help, they may help you grow and make you into a, a better Muslim now I guess as a third point one of the things obviously that is going to occur to any new convert, any new Muslim is that he's going to have to interact now with the Muslims uh, as a whole the other Muslims of this world and unless you happen to convert while in prison which mashallah there's many uh, many uh, brothers and sisters who do <laughs> convert under those circumstances but in general in most of the places in the West, when you convert to to Islam, you're going to be mixing now with a Muslim population, people who have already been Muslim before you. And many times, these Muslims are from different places, different countries, different cultures. And because of this fact, and because of the fact that actually as a Muslim also, you are now joining a new community, and you're a member of, the, of a new community, and Islam is not a religion obviously that just looks at the individual and you'll be living off all by yourself and, and worshipping God all by yourself but actually you are supposed to be a brother and a sister of this community and the others should treat you as a brother and sister and you should treat them uh, vice versa as brothers and sisters so there's going to have to be this interaction with other Muslims and for many new Muslims for many new Muslims, this interaction with other Muslims, alhamdulillah, goes very smoothly. In fact, they, they find, for example, myself, alhamdulillah, when I converted to Islam, I found a, a group of Muslims who, mashallah, were, were dedicated to the religion, had a good understanding of the religion, and they, they you know, accepted me as a, as a new Muslim, and, and I benefited, alhamdulillah, a great deal from from their guidance, from their friendship, from their brotherhood and so forth other times unfortunately sometimes new Muslims when they, when they begin to interact with the Muslim community as it is 
some issues and some problems start to develop. And so let me just touch upon a few points that hope, hopefully, inshallah, you should keep in mind uh, while encountering and, and starting to mix with the Muslim community that, that already exists. Some new Muslims, when they encounter uh, Muslims, for example, in the mosque and so forth, uh, they have uh, a tendency to look at other Muslims as if every Muslim is a prime example of what Islam is supposed to be about. And so therefore, if they're hurt by any Muslim, or if they are wronged by any Muslim, or if they see some wrong in, in, in other Muslims, they see this as a reflection of what Islam is. And this is obviously a, a grave a grave mistake. And for most people, I think if they would just reflect on their own background, they would see why this is a, a grave mistake. Because Muslims, unfortunately, are, <laughs> you can say they are no different from any other religious community in, in the world nowadays in, in some aspects. And in one of those aspects is that not every Muslim is a good Muslim. Not every Muslim is a practicing Muslim. Not every Muslim is a knowledgeable Muslim. So as I said, if, if for for many converts, if they were just to reflect back on their own on their own history, let's say like as I said, uh, let's say like a, a person living in the United States who comes from a Christian background. So if you when you go to church, if indeed you go to church, right, because many Christians don't go go to church, but if you go to church, you'll find people in the church who are. Even if they go to the church, they are not necessarily practicing Christians. And outside of the church, their behavior does not reflect, reflect uh, Christian teachings and so forth. And if you were, asked, if you were to ask them some, something about the religion of Christianity and some detailed uh, teaching of the religion of Christianity, they would not be able to, to, to answer you. And so unfortunately, similar is, is the case with the, with the Muslims. You know, not every Muslim that you, that you meet, not every Muslim that you see, is a proper embodiment of Islam. And so, th- so therefore, do not take uh, what happens to you, if something happens to you from another Muslim, do not take this as necessarily a reflection of Islam. In fact, un- unfortunately, in the Muslim world, for example, in some areas there's still a high level of literacy, there's still, uh, you know, there's still a lack of understanding of Islam, even among many of the Muslim communities, many of the people who grew up in Islam. In fact, some of them, some of them may have grown up in a Muslim country, but it wasn't until they, they moved, maybe moved to the United States that they really started to learn about Islam and what is Islam and begin to, to practice Islam. So don't look at the practice of, of Muslims as necessarily embodying the teachings of Islam, especially if you if you get any kind of negative, if you have a negative experience with them, especially do not take that necessarily as a reflection of Islam. Muslims make mistakes, Muslims commit errors. There are good Muslims, there are bad Muslims. You should recognize that just from the from your probably your past experience, as I said. But obviously, this is the case within Islam as well. And not every Muslim. Not every Muslim is necessarily, again, knowledgeable about Islam. Unfortunately, Muslims are very uh, emotional about Islam in the sense that they they love Islam. And so therefore they have this desire, especially if there's a, a new Muslim, they have this desire to teach the new Muslim about Islam. 
And many times what they're teaching the new Muslim is, is incorrect. I have seen uh, many examples of where someone is talking to a new Muslim and what he's saying is, is not just wrong, but very wrong, if I can, <laughs> if I can say that. So, so you have to be careful about this as well. Uh, but usually, you know, anytime you meet, you, you enter into a Muslim community, Anytime you enter in a Muslim community, most Muslim communities have some individuals who are known for their knowledge, uh, who are known for their proper understanding of Islam and so forth. These are the ones that you should try to seek out if you have some questions, if you have some difficulties, instead of just letting any individual come up to you and talk to you and try to explain something to you about Islam or just finding anyone who you happen to see in the mosque. Because, as I said, that can be very misleading and the information that you get from them may not necessarily be, be reliable. Perhaps maybe a, a more, not a more serious, but, but perhaps a more common situation also has to do with culture. Obviously, if you are, if you are especially living again in a, in a Muslim community in which most of the Muslims, for example, are from some place overseas, some Muslim lands overseas. Obviously, when they come to the United States and when they practice Islam here, they, they come with their brand of culture. You can call it Muslim culture if you like, whatever. It doesn't, doesn't really matter. <laughs> and actually, the different Muslim peoples of the world, they have their, their own cultures. I mean, if you, if you travel, for example, to Malaysia or, Indon or uh, Indonesia or India or Pakistan or the Middle East or North Africa or Sub-Saharan Africa, you're going to meet Muslims and, you, and, and all of them are going to have slightly different culture. But when it comes to the interpersonal relationships between Muslims here and especially the new converts, sometimes, unfortunately, this aspect of culture does interfere with, the, let me call it, the smooth transition of a Muslim to uh, of a new Muslim to Islam, because obviously the the American now is coming from a very different culture, and he is still a new Muslim. He's still trying to internalize many of the of the teachings of Islam, but his behavior, his his actions, may not be consistent with many of the Muslim cultures in this world. But what you'll find uh, with respect to these cultures and with respect to these practices, you'll find some aspects that you, that you need to be aware of. Number one, sometimes the cultural practice actually contradicts the teachings of Islam. For example, in some of the Muslim cultures of today, if a, if a woman, for example, marries into a family, then they expect that this woman will not wear hijab or will not wear the proper Islamic dress in front of her husband's brothers. So, for example, they now think that she's part of the family and they might even consider some kind of an insult or something that, that uh, she wears you know, the proper Islamic dress even in front of her husband's brother. Like this is a lack of trust or something like, of this nature. As I said, this practice goes directly against the teachings of Islam. And so here you have a cultural practice. And unfortunately, by the way, for many new Muslims, uh, I should say in particular many new Muslims, they are put into this situation. Because maybe, maybe they, they became Muslim 
because of someone that they knew and maybe they married him or shortly after becoming Muslim they are encouraged to get married so they end up marrying a Muslim from a different culture and unfortunately they are oftentimes put into this kind of situation obviously if, if the cultural practice contradicts Islam then the cultural practice is not to be followed cannot be followed. There's no, there's no excuse for that. You cannot say, oh, well, this is the culture, so therefore I'm going to do it just because it is the culture, even though it contradicts Islam. Now, this is not, not an acceptable uh, argument. And so, therefore, anytime there's a cultural practice that contradicts Islamic law, then you cannot follow that cultural practice. Now, obviously, sometimes to know what contradicts Islamic law and what doesn't contradict Islamic law, this requires some knowledge of Islam that the new Muslim or the new Muslimah may not have at this time, but as they grow more in Islam or as they learn more about Islam, some of these things will be very clear to them. And as I said, there's no excuse for following a culture, even if it is a so-called Muslim culture, if that culture contradicts Islamic law. But what usually happens, what usually happens is that the culture, the cultural practice may not necessarily contradict Islamic law, but it is not something that the, the convert is used to. And unfortunately, as I said, this can actually lead to some kind of, of friction between the, the new Muslim and the, the other Muslims, the Muslims, for example, who grew up as Muslim and, and so forth, and are from these different countries. Many times it is behaviors that, the, the, that are in the Muslim cultures that are actually good behaviors in the sense that they are meant to, to make things good between people and to spread like, like friendliness or neighborliness and so forth among the people. Uh, however, as I said, it is something new for the, the new Muslim and different from his culture. Like, for example, the way that they eat, the way... I'll give you one uh, example especially for the Arabs of the old, the, the Bedouin Arabs, you know, for them, meat was considered kind of a, a delicacy. And if you could share meat with others, you know, this, well, this was a sign that you are a generous person and you're trying to be very generous to the other uh, individuals. Some, obviously, some new converts, they're not even used to eating meat, but <laughs> we won't worry about that for, for right now. So as a sign of their generosity, they try to, to give you meat and so forth uh, when, you're, when you're eating with them. And even it'll, it happens, it's happened to me on many occasions, since I'm not that big of a meat eater many times, so I don't usually choose that much meat and put it on my plate. That if they see that you don't have much meat on their plate, they'll cut off a piece of meat from their plate and they'll just throw it onto your plate. And so you'll just be sitting there and all of a sudden the piece of meat will fly in on your plate as you're uh, trying to get your food. Now, what they're doing from their perspective is they are being very generous and very gracious and they are, they are actually showing you how much they, they, they like you and how much they want you to, uh, you know, get the, they, they want to give you what they have which is the best in their, in their eyes. Now, to have someone take some food from his plate and, and throw it onto your plate and so forth, like in American culture right now, probably uh, that's not, 
that's not something that most Americans, let's say, would would be used to, and they might even they might some might even be a little bit offended or, or will not like this cultural practice. Well, as as I said again, from the from the Islamic law point of, point of view, there's nothing obviously wrong with this uh, practice. In fact, you know, it's something where someone is sacrificing something. In essence, that's what they're doing. They're sacrificing something and they're trying to give you something that they feel is really good. And so they're actually expressing their their like for you and so forth. For some, I've actually seen many converts to Islam have a great deal of difficulty with this kind of thing. You know, they, they do not like it whatsoever. And I'm just going to, as this is just an advice from, you know, again, from someone who's been Muslim for, for many years, I think the, the, the best way to approach these kind of things, even if you feel uncomfortable with it, or even if you, you know, a little surprised by it at times, or, or something of that nature, the, the important thing is to try to look at, at the spirit, why they did this kind of action. Why do they do these kind of actions? You know, they are doing these kind of actions because in their culture, this is considered very generous, very nice. They are actually demonstrating to you how much they care about you and how much they, they like you, that, that they want for you the best and so forth. And you, you now have embraced uh, Islam, you are uh, a Muslim now, and you are joining this large brotherhood and this large, or, and sisterhood as well, this large brotherhood has people from all over the world. And so you shouldn't expect that they're all going to change their culture just because of this one individual, or these ten individuals from the West who become Muslim and so forth. Obviously, they're going to continue with their practices. And I think it will be better for you if you are very accommodating to them. And as I said, take everything and in, in the spirit and, and the purpose for which it is done. Because if you... If you if you see there's two ways you can you can look at this kind of act of the food flying onto your plate. You can look at it as from your perspective very something uncouth, you know, very you can maybe even think of it as something disrespectful. Or you could look at it from their from their vantage point, that they are trying to do something very nice for you. Obviously, depending on how you look at it, it's going to affect how you react react to it, and how you react to it and how you behave under such circumstances. Unfortunately, whether you like it or not, is going to affect your inter- interaction with other Muslims in your community. And so, therefore, the the, the only thing, as I said, the the, the thing that I, I recommend is that you try to become accommodating, try to take everything in the spirit in which it is done. And if you actually don't like it, you may tell them later at some point when you are maybe a little bit closer to them and, and you know each other better that, you know, actually I really don't like this practice and uh, I prefer if, if you don't do it. And, and even then they'll be understanding. Okay. At least this has been my experience, that they will be understanding and they will take your feelings into consideration. This doesn't mean that if you go out then and meet some new people from that same culture that, that the practice won't happen again to you, but... Uh, at least among those people that you know, they will they will know that okay, this person doesn't like this particular thing, and usually they are they are understanding and, and they do not have any problem with it. Some cultural practices actually are well within the spirit of Islam and and uh, are consistent with Islam, and and those you should, if you have the ability to, you should try also to develop them and and, and make them part of your character as well.
So this issue, this issue of culture and interaction with with older, with the you know Muslims uh, from different Muslim cultures, as I said, actually, unfortunately, I've, I've really seen it affect new Muslims. I mean, affect them to the extent that sometimes even they don't want to come to the mosque, and once they stop coming to the mosque, of course, this is uh, blocking off their access to learn about, learn more about Islam and so forth. And this can become something very dangerous for the religious, the spiritual health of that Muslim. So try to take all of these things with the proper attitude, inshallah, and the proper spirit. And, and hopefully all of these things will, uh, uh, will actually bring you closer to Islam and bring you closer to the other Muslims. When you see, for example, that they're actually doing things that in their eyes are showing you their love and their concern for you, you begin to appreciate them more. That brings you closer to them. And inshallah, all of us together, we can grow within our Islam. Another aspect to keep in mind is that when you become Muslim, you have to realize that you are the one who is new to Islam. You know, sometimes I've seen, for example, new Muslims. They kind of enter into Islam sometimes, uh, if, uh, you know, like they have some kind of chip on their shoulder or something, and they don't like the idea of of Muslims, of the other Muslims telling them, for example, what is Islam and how they're supposed to behave and this kind of thing. Again, you have to realize you are the new person. You are, you are the one actually who does not have, in most cases, you know, unless you studied Islam for like 30 years before you became Muslim and really know it well, which is usually not the, not the case. You have to realize that you are the one who actually, you need the other Muslim guidance, you need the other Muslims' uh, friendship and help and so forth. And so therefore, basically what I'm saying is don't approach other Muslims with some kind of attitude that you don't like being taught, you don't like being told what to do and what not to do and so forth. This is actually a very important point because in Islam there is an emphasis on teaching others and and teaching others not with the not with the intent of showing that you have more knowledge than them or or in a condescending manner or something but out of concern for them you want them to know what is right you want them to do what is right and so therefore when you see your brother doing something wrong coming into the mosque for example and and behaving uh, in, a, in an improper manner or not praying in a proper manner it is it is natural for a Muslim then to go up to that uh, other Muslim and say, "Look, you know, I saw you doing this, and I know that you're a new Muslim, and, and so therefore I thought I should, I should, I should tell you that this is incorrect. What you did, you should do it this way and this way." And so, again, if you keep in mind what is the spirit behind it, they are not trying to put you down or anything of that nature, but they are trying to help you in your Islam. And unfortunately, it it can get to the point, you know, it can get to the point that it can be bothersome. I mean, if you, every time you go to the mosque, you have five or ten people coming up to you and telling you, you did this wrong, you did that wrong, and you did this wrong. Because a lot of Muslims have a lot of, a lot of exuberance. And they are very anxious and very uh, energetic with respect to trying to tell others about Islam and so forth. And sometimes even the way they tell you, sometimes maybe there's a language barrier and there's a, this cultural barrier. Sometimes even the way they tell you might even feel like they are telling you in a manner which is not very polite and, and uh, you may even be, be offended by it. Uh, unfortunately, all of these things uh, occur. So you have to, you kind of have to balance uh, a number of things. 
you have to recognize the fact that you are new to Islam and so therefore it is possible that you are making many mistakes and, they are, and the people who see you making these mistakes they are just trying to help you when, when you do these kind of mistakes now if it does get too much and, uh, and if it really does seem to be bothersome first of all I, I would recommend that you have patience because remember I told you that you may face many trials you may face trials from your from your parents and from your brothers and from your sisters and so forth but also in, when interacting with other Muslims also you're going to face many trials and them coming to you and maybe telling you things in, in, in a manner that you don't like and so forth or telling you too much and overburdening you or, and overloading you and this kind of thing I can just I can just recommend that you have patience and remember your ultimate goal and your ultimate purpose your embracing of Islam and this uh, practice of the religion of Islam this is not just some kind of, of weekend activity that you're doing just for fun or something of that nature but your ultimate purpose is, is to please God have Allah pleased with you and to get closer to God and so therefore the ultimate purpose the ultimate goal should override any kind of little problems that, that, that arise along the way any kind of dis little disturbances that arise along the way and one of these kind of disturbances that, that people come across often again is this interaction with Muslims who have been Muslims for a while and, and sometimes being taught and being corrected in manners that they in manners or on a repetitive basis that begins to bother the, the, the Muslim so it may not for, for some individuals it may not be an easy thing to deal with but again I have to stress that uh, patience on these issues is very important keeping in mind the long run goal the ultimate purpose why you're doing all this anytime you keep those things in mind this can make you rise above all oh, these kind of minor and small difficulties that you that you may face while interacting with uh, with other Muslims and again as I said before about the culture if you keep in mind the spirit and the purpose behind it they are not trying to belittle, belittle you they are not trying to harm you they are not trying to embarrass you in any way but they are actually in general they are, uh, they are, trying, to, they are trying to help you and so therefore inshallah if you take it in that spirit if you take it in that spirit uh, I, I think inshallah things will work out fine and you will benefit from their from their advice and so forth another issue that uh, you must also be aware of especially in the in the United States I'm not too sure about England and, and other places but many of the mosques in the United States they are run by volunteers they are usually understaffed they are almost always underfinanced even when they are even when they are uh, not run by volunteers they are underfinanced so don't don't expect perfection from the the people unfortunately who are working in the mosque you don't especially as i said in the united states and probably in other western countries the Islamic setup is not, we do not have that large of a population, we do not have that large of funds and so forth to be as organized and to be as proficient as some, for example, as some of the, the Christian churches that we, that we see here. If you travel to some of the Muslim lands, you'll, you'll find, for example, that the mosques 
are run and financed by by state uh, by state ministries, by governmental ministries. So they are financed, they are clean, they are well built, they are uh, maintained with funds. People are people are there to to clean them. People are there to be the imam. People are there to call the prayer and so forth. And so. Like some of the Christian churches here, some of them run very smoothly. If there if there are new people who come in, if there's people who come for information, and so forth, they have literature, they have people who are dedicated to that job, uh, full time employees, and so forth. And so, therefore, the the situation is quite different in some parts of the world than it is here in the United States. So, here in the United States, when you go to the mosque, for example, you may go to the mosque many times and, and not find someone, or you might even call the mosque on, on many occasions and not be called back at all, or not be called back for for a long time and so forth. You may ask for something from the mosque and so forth, and, and, and find that there is some mismanagement, not mismanagement, but disorganization and so forth. And all of this has to do, unfortunately, with our situation here in, uh, in the West for whatever reason, we do not have the, the funds or we do not have the dedicated people and we do not have the qualified people. Really, in the West, we do not have enough qualified people that, for example, every mosque will have a qualified imam, qualified person to give the Friday uh, khutbah and speeches and, and lectures and, and classes and so forth. Uh, it simply is not, is not the case. And so, therefore, this is another thing that you, that you are going to have to be patient with some mosques, mashallah, have developed excellent outreach programs and they even have classes for, for new Muslims. But in general, in many cases, as I said, even as a new Muslim, you may feel like you are, you are lost or you may even feel sometimes like you are abandoned maybe by the community that uh, you are not getting the kind of guidance, the kind of time, the kind of instruction that you feel that, that you need and that you're looking for. So again, as I said, you're going to face many trials. Some are more obvious than others. This might be something that you didn't think of as a trial, but actually this might be even more difficult for you than, than some of the other things that, uh, that I mentioned. Because you may be in a situation where the, the local mosque, again, is being run by volunteers. It is, doesn't really have the funds, doesn't have the resources, doesn't even have the literature maybe that they can offer you. And in fact, within that community itself, they might even have difficulty themselves finding someone to give the, the, the Friday speech for the, for the Friday prayer. So you can imagine that <laughs> they, are complete, they are lacking to such an extent that they find it difficult even for one of the basic tenets, one of the basic practices of Islam to, to fulfill that one properly. So this is going to be another issue for you. Uh, hopefully in every mosque... Hopefully in every mosque you will find brothers who are sincere. You will find at least people who will be good friends for you. They may not be able to offer you that much guidance, but inshallah hopefully they will be good friends. And maybe they will be able to point you to people of knowledge, either in close by communities or maybe something even over the internet or something of that nature. Something that will help you grow in Islam. But again, this will be another aspect where Again, patience will be required on your part. Keeping in mind what you are doing this for, what is the ultimate goal. Again, always keeping that in mind. This will make you, inshallah, overcome many of these difficulties that you'll face even after becoming uh, a Muslim uh, for a while. 
And finally, as another, as the, I guess that's the final introductory point is what I mean. There's also not very much information or there's not very much literature and resources available for the new Muslim in particular. Okay, there are a lot of issues of concern for the new Muslim. There are a lot of even laws or what they call fiqh regulations that are specific for a new Muslim. And so therefore, since there's not much uh, information uh, available out there and many, many Muslims, for example, even maybe many Muslim scholars have not experienced this situation and therefore they're not, uh, have not read on these issues and therefore they, even they may not be that familiar with what a new Muslim should do. And, and this is another problem that, uh, that the new Muslim has to face. Even if he can find people who are willing to help, they may not know where to find the answers to some of his questions and, and so forth. Uh, so many of these introductory points and many of these uh, introductory, introductory issues, I can just give you some advice, you know, about how to handle them. As I said, basically being patient and remembering the overall purpose and the overall all goal of your, of your Islam is going to help you a lot. And many of those other issues, there's not much uh, that I can do for you in, in, in these lectures, but inshallah, at least on this last point, on this last point of the fact that there are many issues facing a new Muslim concerning which there's not that many resources or not that much information available. One of the basic goals of this lecture series is basically to give you the information that you may need concerning a number of issues that a new Muslim is facing, especially the fiqh, what are known as the fiqh or the, the legal issues. Uh, this is one of the goals of this series. This is not the only goal. Another one of the major goals, again, as I, as I mentioned at the beginning, is to give you a proper foundation of Islam. Because if you have the, the proper foundation, then, inshallah, everything else will be much easier for you. And when I say the, the proper foundation, I'm talking about the proper understanding of what are the sources of, of, of Islam. Where do we get the teachings of Islam from? What are some of the basic characteristics of Islam? And the basic goals of Islam that we can always keep in our mind that this is what Islam is all about. What are some of the basic beliefs in Islam that we have to make sure that we understand properly? Again, as I mentioned before, inshallah, all of us, all of the new Muslims have studied Islam to some extent. But there might be some issues that they didn't touch upon and so forth. So, but if you have the foundation, if you have the proper beliefs, and, and you understand them properly. If you understand Islam as a whole, you know, what are the goals of Islam? What is Islam giving you? What are the essential features of Islam? If you, if you understand all of these properly, that can make your life very easy. I mean, that will give you the guidance, the light that you need under different circumstances that will help you. At least you know where to turn to. You, at least you have some basic idea of what is occurring to you and how are you supposed to respond and so forth. And then beyond that, we will get into, inshallah, specific issues related to a new, a new Muslim issues. Like, for example, what about the wealth that he has before he became Muslim, what about the fact that he's married to a non-Muslim non spouse? 
what should be the interaction with him and his uh, non-Muslim relatives and, and so forth. All of these, inshallah, we hope to cover in this uh, in this lecture series, inshallah. And so, inshallah, we'll start with a discussion of the two basic uh, sources of Islam, because as I said, if you understand these properly and you have the right attitude towards these, the basic sources of Islam, that will inshallah help you a great deal in the long run. The Prophet said, The Prophet told us, I have left among you two matters that if you adhere to them, you will never be misguided. The Book of Allah and the Sunnah of His Prophet. So the Prophet ﷺ is saying he's left behind, he's leaving with us two things. Obviously the Prophet ﷺ is no longer living among us. We cannot turn to him directly for guidance and ask him directly questions. What he says, but he said that he is leaving among us two things. And if we adhere to these two things, if we cling and stick to these two things, we'll never be led astray will never be misguided. And these are the book of Allah and the sunnah of his prophet, his sunnah. So obviously with this, with these words from the Prophet ﷺ, these words in themselves should be sufficient for us to understand the place of these two sources and how important these two sources should be in our lives. Now the Qur'an and the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ as I said, these are the two foundations. In any discussion of Islam, any discussion of Islam must be based on these two foundations. The Qur'an is the revelation that the Prophet Muhammad received directly via the angel Gabriel from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And it lays the foundation for the entirety of the Islamic teachings. And therefore, any kind of discussion about Islam obviously must be based on what the Quran is saying you know it's amazing to me sometimes you can pick up a book about Islam supposedly explaining Islam especially nowadays one of the things that we have to be very aware of unfortunately especially here in the United States or in the West is that a lot of alternative ways of Islam are supposedly being presented as options for the Muslims and as as relevant and true manifestations of Islam or equally relevant and true manifestations of Islam. And actually it doesn't take a, a genius to figure out that there might be something wrong if, for example, you pick up a book that is supposedly explaining Islam and then you go through the entire book and there's rarely even a reference to the Qur'an, there's rarely even a verse being quoted from the Qur'an, while in fact this is supposed to be a book explaining Islam. It doesn't make any sense. I mean, Islam, the Qur'an is the, is the very foundation of Islam. And so therefore you should be suspicious of any literature that is supposedly explaining Islam that is not based in any way, for example, on the Qur'an. And there's one book in particular called uh, Progressive Muslims, Collection of Articles, you know, you'll be hard-pressed to find, in some of those articles, you'll be hard-pressed to find any 
quote even from the Quran about what Islam is supposed to be, what Islam is. So as I said, the Quran really is the foundation. However, at the same time, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did not reveal this Quran, as they say, on a mountainside. Right? It's not just some words that are that we find in a book someplace or we find along a mountainside. But Allah specifically chose to send this revelation in a very specific manner. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chose to reveal the Qur'an to the Prophet Muhammad And within the Qur'an, within the Qur'an, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us not only to look to the Qur'an, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also tells us to look at the example of the Prophet and orders us to obey the Prophet And his life, and his example, and his behavior, you know, what he did and so forth, this is known as the sunnah, the sunnah of the Prophet Muhammad This is inclusive of his words, his speech, what he said, what he ordered and so forth, what he recommended, what he prohibited, all of his speech is part, is considered part of his sunnah. But also is inclusive of his behavior, his actions, what he did. You know, many times his actions and his behavior as a whole are just as important as maybe individual words that he has given us. How did he behave with respect to his companions, with respect to his wives, and so forth. These are essential aspects, as we'll talk about, of Islam. And this sunnah, as we'll talk about shortly, it is also captured in another, another term that you should know, is the word hadith. The hadith is the literature that captures the reports about the sunnah of the Prophet Muhammad and inshallah we'll get into both of those aspects uh, shortly but I want to first begin by discussing the Quran so the Quran as, as we said it is a revelation from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala it is actually the speech the speech of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he sent to the Prophet via the angel Gabriel so the actual words the actual words of the Quran were given to the Prophet Muhammad from Allah. So this is not the speech of the Prophet Muhammad This is not the speech of the angel Gabriel. But this is actually the speech of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed this Quran to the Prophet Muhammad over a period of 23 years. So the Prophet received his first revelation when he was 40 years old, and the revelation continued, continued to come to the Prophet ﷺ. And this is part, by the way, of the, of the practicality of the Qur'an itself. That it actually came to the Prophet ﷺ. Not as just some kind of abstract theory or something of that nature, but to practically guide the Prophet ﷺ and his community, the Muslim nation at that time, under different circumstances. Together, now when we look, you know, we know that the Qur'an has 114 surahs, and, and, and when we look at it nowadays, sometimes we don't even realize that even within one surah, sometimes one portion of that surah was maybe revealed years after another portion. But when we read it, it all looks like maybe even it has come at one time, or, or we feel that it's just one book and so forth, obviously, but in reality it came 
over a period of 23 years. And part of the benefit of that, as I said, was to actually give guidance to the Prophet Muhammad to make it to make its teachings a real living thing. So it guided the community of the Prophet Muhammad from the time that the Prophet Muhammad was persecuted in Mecca, and finally when the Muslims had to flee Mecca to establish their new community in, in Medina, and when the onslaught came from the disbelievers in, in, in Medina, and the community continued to grow until until Islam and the Muslim community became successful. So the guidance for all of these periods, the guidance for all of these different circumstances. In Allah's mercy, He has given us this Qur'an that provides the guidance for all of these different times and all of these different periods of the Muslim community for the Muslim community and also for the Muslim individual himself. And so therefore this Quran we can say this Quran transformed a people completely, the Arab people, the people of the Prophet Muhammad. By the time of the death of the Prophet Muhammad, these people were a completely transformed people. They went from a people who were heedless of God and the religion and, uh, and practicing proper faith to a very devout, pious community adhering to God's laws and worshipping God and being sincere to God and being ethical in their behavior and so forth. And this we can see is, is really one of the ultimate goals of the Qur'an and something that we have to understand about the Qur'an. The Qur'an is meant to develop us into proper human beings. It is meant to change our lives. If we are doing something wrong, if we do not have the right attitude, the right beliefs, the right practices, the Qur'an actually, the teachings of the Qur'an should make us change, should develop us into a new human being. And if we have the proper understanding of the Qur'an and the proper attitude towards the Qur'an, inshallah this effect will, will come upon us. And this is one of the, actually one of the miraculous aspects of the Qur'an. The Prophet ﷺ, he described the Qur'an as being one of those signs, one of those miracles that the different prophets received. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent various prophets, He would give them different signs. Signs that when the people would see them, they would understand that this person must be sent from God. That this sign must be something from God. It is not something within the means and the reach of human beings. And so therefore they would see these signs and they would believe in that Prophet. The Prophet Muhammad he had some of these, what you could call with respect to the Prophet Muhammad some of these lesser signs. But the real sign of his message, the real miracle that, uh, that he had is this, is this Qur'an. The Prophet ﷺ said that there was no prophet among the prophets, but he was given signs because of which the people had belief. But what I have been given is the divine revelation which Allah has revealed to me. So I hope my followers will be more than those of any other prophet on the day of resurrection. So here the Prophet ﷺ is comparing this sign that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given him, this miracle that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given him. It is, the, it is the revelation from God. And it is distinct and unique from all of the other signs that the earlier prophets had. And so therefore, 
because of the greatness of this sign, he's saying that I hope, therefore, that I'll have more followers than any of the other prophets. Obviously, the greater the sign, the more wonderful the sign, then, inshallah, this should mean the, the more people will, will listen to it, will see it, will believe in it, and it will have an effect upon them. So the Prophet ﷺ is basically describing this sign, this Qur'an, this revelation, that he has received from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He's describing it as really being greater than all of the other signs that all of the other prophets received. And therefore he has reason to hope. He has reason to hope that he will be having the greatest number of followers of all the prophets on the day of judgment. And so this Qur'an, it is a mercy from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he has revealed this Qur'an. He has given this Prophet, the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa this great sign and this great miracle. And if you, if you study the Qur'an, if you study the Qur'an in, in great detail, you'll find that it is miraculous in many, many ways. During the time of, of the Arabs, for example, one of the aspects that they were very fond of and very proud of was their language and their eloquence. And they used to compete with one another in producing the most eloquent Arabic poetry and Arabic prose and what, whatever. And they used to have fairs like uh, what we have nowadays, county fairs and state fairs and this kind of thing, where they used to go and they would compete. You know, everyone would read what they had and, and there would be competition and those those people who were, were known for their eloquence, they would become very famous among the Arabs. So they had this source of pride among them. And so therefore Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed this Quran, this Quran in the Arabic language, in the pure Arabic language, to these people. And just the language of the Quran itself was such a miracle. The, the language of the Quran itself, they could see that this was not a product of of humans. In fact, there's one scholar who noted that after the, after Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed the Qur'an, and after they saw that there's something that they cannot even compete with, all of these fairs, all of these like linguistic or artistic fairs that they used to have in the time before the Prophet Muhammad all of them stopped. They discontinued this practice. Because now they, they, they recognize that there's something actually that they cannot compete with. Now this linguistic and poetic and also prose, not just the poetic aspect, but also the prose, the, the beauty and the eloquence of the Qur'an, obviously for most new Muslims, they cannot really appreciate this because this has a lot to do with the Arabic language itself. And obviously most people who become Muslim, for example, here in the West, are not experts in the, in the Arabic language. Maybe we can listen to the Qur'an, for example, we can we can hear someone reciting the Qur'an and we can see, or I should say, we can hear the beauty of its words and of its melody and so forth. But we do not really appreciate this linguistic aspect. But the Arabs at the time of the Prophet ﷺ, this was actually one of the aspects that they could really recognize and see that this speech, these words were not the speech of any human, that it must have come from God. And so therefore this is one of one of the miraculous aspects. But there are many miraculous aspects of, of the Qur'an. We have, for example, prophecies in the Qur'an that came true during the lifetime of the Prophet ﷺ. We have, for example, its internal consistency. Again, 
the Quran was revealed over a period of 23 years. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala even refers to the fact that if it had come from someone other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you would, you would, have, find, you would have found much, many discrepancies. It's historical accuracy. If you study how it's referring to the prophets of old and so forth, you'll find, for example, that there are some, and I don't want to go into too much detail about this, because this will then be the, <laughs> the whole lecture about the miraculous aspect of the Quran, but alhamdulillah, there's a lot of material available on this in the English language, so you can, inshallah, study some of it on its own. But you'll notice even with respect to the prophets of old who are mentioned in the Bible, you'll find that there's some aspects that are mentioned in the Bible which are historically can be shown that it could not be correct. And yet you'll not find those same kind of uh, anachronistic statements or incorrect statements in the Quran as well. Even though, even though the Quran refers to many of, those sto- many of the older prophets and many of their stories and much of their lives, you'll not find any of these mistakes creeping into the Qur'an. Because again, the Qur'an has been revealed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And even another aspect of the, of the Qur'an is its preservation. The way it was preserved is unique as well. And it has been preserved in detail from the time of the Prophet Muhammad When the Prophet whenever the Prophet received a revelation, he would call for his scribes. And he would tell his scribes, this is the revelation I received and it, and, and it belongs and such and such, after such and such verses. So we have the Quran being received by the Prophet and passing it on to the scribes and recording it at that time. And also people obviously memorizing the Quran. So from the time of the Prophet the Quran has been preserved through written record and also through the memory of the people. Uh, to this day, there are many uh, literally thousands of people have memorized the entire Quran. Even if all of the books were to be removed, you know, Ray Bradbury's famous uh, Fahrenheit 451, even if you destroyed all of the books and all the copies of the, of the Quran, the Quran would still be preserved. There's still a sufficient number of people who have memorized the whole Quran from beginning to end that the Quran would not be lost. So, inshallah, on that point, I will end this particular lecture.